Well, there are a number of different ways to motivate a person. Two ways in particular are what are called positive motivation and negative motivation. And when I say positive and negative motivation, I don't mean one is good and the other is bad. Negative motivation can be good motivation. It's when you try to get someone to respond a certain way to avoid negative consequences. An example of this is when I'm with our girls in the Walmart parking lot. And I'll say, stay beside me, hold my hand, don't run out into the road or you could get hit. Stay beside me or you'll get hurt. That's, that's negative motivation. There is also what is called positive motivation and this is when you try to get someone to respond a certain way by telling them the positive benefits that will occur if they do. Give you another example with our girls and I'm sure you've used this one as well. At times I'll say if you're really good you don't fight you do things without complaining or arguing then we'll go out for dinner or we'll go see a movie right y'all have used this don't judge me. Uh, yeah, that's positive motivation. And both forms of motivation, positive and negative motivation, they can be and are at times effective. And we see the Bible use both types of motivation. We see both forms in the book we're studying through, the book of Hebrews. We're back in Hebrews this morning. We took a little break to do our Easter sermon series through through Matthew's account of Jesus's death burial and resurrection now we're we're back in Hebrews we just got about three and a half chapters in and the last time we were in Hebrews you may remember maybe not but when we were studying through the the first part of Hebrews we see that the writer of Hebrews uses negative types of motivation to motivate his Here's the author of Hebrews been writing to his audience and remember they're a Jewish Christian audience who are drifting spiritually and the writer of Hebrews is writing to them calling for them to examine their commitment to the Lord and he's been urging them to keep trusting keep believing in Christ to not stray to not drift spiritually but to strive to work to stay close to Christ and focused upon Him, to not look away from Him, but look upon Him, to consider Jesus, to gaze intently upon Him and abide in Him. And he uses negative, a negative example to motivate them. He says, don't be like the Israelites in the wilderness after being delivered from Egyptian bondage. He says, don't be like them who did not trust in God. They did not turn their hearts toward God and God's man, but rather they turned their, their gaze and their hearts back toward Egypt. He tells his audience, as a result of their unbelief, they did not enter into God's rest. They did not make it to the land of promise to be with God and his people they perished in the wilderness he says don't be like them instead keep trusting in Christ keep believing in him don't drift get back on track 
spiritually. You see negative motivation, but good motivation. So, so that's been the tone, the mood, over the past few chapters in the first third of the book of Hebrews. Well, in the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see the tone shift a bit. You're going to find this morning that the motivation in the passage we're going to look at today is a bit more positive. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We are continuing our series through the book of Hebrews entitled, Jesus is Greater. And we have seen throughout our study so far that the author has been both theological and Practical. The, the, the Bible contains both. This book contains both. On the one hand, the author of Hebrews spends a great deal of time talking about and teaching on the rich and wonderful doctrinal truths about Jesus and why he is supreme. He starts off by talking about how Jesus is God's supreme form of revelation. He is greater than the prophets. And then he says he's also greater than all spiritual angelic beings he's he's superior to angels and the reason why is because christ has all authority he is the king of kings he has all authority and power and is in fact worshiped by angels and they are under his authority he also makes the point that Jesus is supreme over all other religious leaders. This includes Moses. Why? Because he holds a superior office to Moses and has accomplished a superior work. Remember, Moses was used by God to provide physical deliverance for a group of Jews for a time. Jesus has provided spiritual deliverance for all who believe and trust in him forever. So the author of Hebrews spends a great deal of time teaching his readers about who Jesus is and why he is supreme over everyone and everything else. And he also spends time in this book explaining the therefore, the practical side of this wonderful truth. The author of this book uses the teachings of Christ's supremacy to lead his readers down the right path. He basically says, because that's the case, because Jesus is God's supreme revelation, superior to angels and Moses, you should set your focus upon him. Don't look away from him. Don't stray from him. Don't drift. Don't look beyond him. You should continue to trust in him, believe on him, not drift from him, but strive to remain near him. And in the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see the theological alongside the practical. The author is going to show us at the end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5 that Jesus is supreme over priests. He is our great high priest, greater than all other priests, and he is going to use positive motivation for the believers in his day and for us as well. God means it for us as well, right, believers, on why we should remain committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we are moving into a section that is really the heart of Hebrews, that Jesus is our great high priest. We're going to return to this theme over and over again as we continue to study through. And some of you, you may be scratching your heads a bit at this on why 
Jesus being our great high priest should be good news and motivating to us. I mean, let's be honest, we don't really think of priests all that often unless you're in here from a Catholic background. And even if that's the case, that was not the context of the author of Hebrews. But, but many of us, if we're honest, when we hear that Jesus is better than priest, we think to ourselves, so, you know? I mean, how does that benefit me? How is that supposed to motivate me? And the reason many respond in this way is because they don't see themselves as being in need of a priest. But let me tell you, the original recipients of this letter understood this all too well. This is a Jewish audience, and they had a good grasp on the Old Testament and the priesthood and man's need of a priest. And my hope for you today, church, is that as we go through this text this morning, that you would come to understand, if you do not already, that we are people in need of a priest as well. And secondly, I hope and pray that you come to realize you also come to understand that Jesus is the solution to this problem. We are in need of a priest, and Jesus is our great high priest. And lastly, I hope that truth motivates you. I hope that truth moves you. I hope that truth serves as a positive motivation for you to keep trusting, keep believing, and keep following hard after Jesus. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at our passage from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and give several reasons why Jesus is our great high priest. First, he is our great high priest because he gives us direct access to the Father in heaven. That's a big one. Now, before I explain what Jesus has done as our priest, let me first explain why referring to Jesus as our better priest, our greater priest, our superior high priest would have meant so much to the Jewish audience in this day and why what is said here would have impacted them in such a great way. And, and by the way, I'm not going to get to everything because we're going to come back to this again and again as we study through Hebrews, but, but let, me, let me help you just kind of starting us off here. At this time in this day, there was not a more exalted position that could be held among the Jews than the office of high priest. In the New Testament times, the high priest had significant power. Now, remember we said there were thousands of Pharisees, right? But the Sanhedrin was a group of 71. And the high priest was the head of the Sanhedrin. He was like the president, okay? He was the head. He was in a supreme position, but was also respected in the Jewish community because he had a supreme task to perform each year. Throughout Jewish history, on a certain day, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter into the innermost part of the temple and make a sacrifice he would offer up the blood. He would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat for the sins of the Jewish people, for the sins of the nation. Picture this scene. It's morning on this day. Across from the Mount of Olives, a priest standing at the highest point of the temple would, would sound the trumpet. This was a signal that 
the morning sacrifice was about to begin. A total of 15 animals were sacrificed on this massive altar that stood before the temple in the presence of many witnesses. And the high priest would slaughter these animals with the ceremonial knife. And a portion of the blood would be poured into a cup. And at the appointed time, the high priest would take the cup and enter into the temple, passing through the outer doors. And then he would find himself in the holy place. To his left, a golden lampstand. To his right, the table of showbread. Before him, the altar of incense. Beyond the altar of incense was a great double veil, and there were more things done. We don't have time to go into all the details. That's a different lesson altogether. There was a scapegoat and other things involved, but, but I want you to focus in on him entering into the most holy place. There was this double veil. No man was permitted to pass beyond the veil, but on this day the high priest was allowed to pass through the veil to enter into the holy of holies. And in this room, for a time, was a piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant. It was a wooden chest overlaid with gold. It had a lid of pure gold. This lid is known as the mercy seat. And on, on each end of the mercy seat was a golden figure of an angel bowed inward, facing toward the center of this mercy seat. And this mercy seat represented the throne of God. This was the special, unique dwelling place of God on earth with man. And here in this sacred area of the temple, the high priest would sprinkle blood onto the mercy seat for the sins of the people. That's what was done all throughout the Old Testament. That's why the, the office of high priest was so sacred, so important to the Jewish people. The Jewish people, they understood their sin and their need for their sin to be covered. And they understood their complete inability to atone for their own sin. Now let me pause here for a minute and ask you, do you share this perspective with the Jews today? Do you realize that you too are a sinner in need of forgiveness? Do you realize that there is nothing that you can do by your own power to atone for your own sin? It's a good perspective to have, isn't it? The Jews in the Old Testament, they understood this. That was the job of the high priest. That's why this office was so important. That's why they revered the office of the high priest. And this Jewish Christian audience in the book of Hebrews, they felt the same way. But what many Jews in this day failed to realize is this, that without Jesus, the work of the high priest that he had done year after year over the years would have been all for nothing. That's what many of them failed to realize. The author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10, 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. See, the high priest didn't have the power to conquer sin and death. The high priest didn't have the power to destroy the works of the devil. The high priest didn't have the power to bring everyone into the presence of God. Only King Jesus, the king priest, 
is able to do that. As a conquering king, he came to conquer sin and death through his death and resurrection, right? He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came through his work to usher all who believe in him into the presence of God. And he did it through his priestly responsibilities and his priestly work through living the perfect life for us, laying his life down as a perfect substitute and sacrifice and taking his life up again. The priests couldn't do this. They couldn't do this. What they did was they offered these sacrifices and they painted a picture of what Christ came to, to accomplish and they were offered up in faith, looking forward to the person and work of Jesus. I heard someone use this illustration, I like it, of a credit card. They explain that over the years before Christ came, the sacrifices offered by the high priest was like swiping a credit card. Every year they would swipe that credit card. It was only Jesus who truly paid it all in full at Calvary. Past, present, and future. I like that illustration. So without his work, their work would have been useless. This is important for this audience to understand because they were considering re-embracing Judaism and drifting from the Christian faith. And the author of Hebrews is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Continue to look to Jesus. Continue to trust in him. He is the one who has paid it all. He is the supreme high priest. Notice what he says again in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Over the years, there had been many high priests. I read this morning, there were a total of 83 from Aaron all the way up to AD 70 when the temple was destroyed. Generation after generation of priests who served in this exalted office. And each year, the high priest entered the temple and offered a sacrifice. But in this passage, again, we are looking at today, we see the author of Hebrews lets his Jewish audience know that with Jesus we have someone unique, someone supreme, someone that Jews had never had before or since, a great high priest, a supreme high priest who is actually able to conquer sin and death, who is able to cover sin and atone for sin in a way it had never been covered and atoned for before by any of the others who held this office. Look at verse 14 again of Hebrews 4. The author of Hebrews tells us how he does it. He says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Notice, Jesus, like the other earthly physical priest, did not pass through an earthly physical building, through an earthly physical veil, into an earthly and physical holy of holies, like the earthly physical priests do. Jesus passed through the heavens to take care of our sin. Isn't that awesome? We said earlier that only the high priest 
was authorized to go into the Holy of Holies in the temple. And here we're, we're reminded that Jesus is the only one who could enter into the heavens for us, into the heavenly Holy of Holies, into God's throne room. Why? Because he is the great high priest. He is God the Son, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. He is able to pass through the heavens into, in and through the, the heavenly veil, into the heavenly holy of holies, into God's throne room. And we're told that he is there before him as the worthy lamb who was slain. And through him and only him, through his work alone, we have access to God. In Hebrews 9, 12, we're told, Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. By faith alone, in Christ's person and work alone, we have access to God's throne of grace. The priest couldn't do that. They couldn't grant that access. But Christ can. And in him, we are secure forever. Through his blood, he has secured for us an eternal redemption. So that's, that's the, the, the first reason we should look to and trust in Jesus as our great high priest. He gives us direct access to the Father. He has secured for us an eternal redemption by means of his blood. We also learn here in verse 14, Jesus is a greater priest because he is the Son of God. Look at verse 14 again. Jesus, the Son of God. As we've said already, this title is given to Jesus, it's a unique title. Though there are other places in Scripture where God's people are referred to as children of God, sons and daughters of His, that's only made possible through the eternal Son of God, through His person and work. No one in all of Scripture, in all of human history, no high priest has had the relationship that the Son has with the Father. He is the supreme Son of God, the second member of the Godhead. He is divine, therefore he is supreme over all things. That includes priests. Though high priests held a supreme position, were granted special access into a sacred part of the temple, they did not have the kind of access that Jesus has as a son. They did not share his authority. They did not share his title. No high priest was ever able to take upon himself the title of son of God. At best, the priests were servants of God and temporary mediators between God and men, but nothing like Jesus. In the next passage, we're going to look at next week, Hebrews 5. The author of Hebrews explains this a bit further. He tells us in chapter 5, verses 4 through 5, and no one takes this honor of being high priest for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, 
today I have begotten you. So the author of Hebrews here, he gives us a little insight into how priests were chosen. He is saying in this day, one did not just say, you know what, I think I'm going to be the high priest. And, and, you know, that sounds like a good office. I'm going to go for that. You didn't do that. There was qualifications for being a high priest. It started by Aaron being chosen. So all of those in Aaron were chosen through Aaron to be the high priest. The high priest came through the tribe of Levi from the household of Aaron. There are also certain physical requirements that needed to be met by the high priest. We learned that in Leviticus. But, but they had to be called by God and allowed special access by him into this restricted sacred part of the temple to stand in God's presence on behalf of his people. During Jesus' earthly ministry, the Father made it crystal clear that Jesus has a special relationship with him and direct access to him. Remember at his baptism, this is my son, God said from the heavens. When he's being transfigured, this is my son. God makes it very, very clear. He is unique to even the high priests. Because he is God's son. He has access to the Father and has had forever because he is the eternal son of God. He is not an appointed servant. He is the eternally appointed son of God and is able to represent us perfectly because he has become one of us and has been a perfect one of us at that. Jesus is supreme because he is the Son of God. Now, why did the Hebrews need to hear this truth in the verse 14, chapter 4? So that they would hold fast to the Christian faith. So that they would hold fast to their confession. He says, in light of this truth, in light of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is your supreme high priest, let us hold fast to our confession. The author of Hebrews is giving positive motivation here, is he not? He's saying the Son of God has come. He has accomplished this great work for us. We have access through his person and work to the Father forever. He has secured for us an eternal redemption by means of his blood, by means of his sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice. In light of that, may we hold fast to him. May we hold fast to the Christian faith. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess because this is our king. The author of Hebrews is giving positive motivation here he's saying in light of this may we not drift may we cling to this faith let us continue believing keep trusting in let us not turn away from our great high priest the Lord Jesus let us hold fast to what we know to be true of him may we continue to rely upon him and trust in him alone for our salvation there's a, another great reason given for why Jesus should be considered our great high priest, and it's this, because he is able to sympathize with us in every way. Now, this is amazing. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, this is important. We, we have said one of the main aims 
of the author of Hebrews is to make the point that Jesus is supreme. The very title of our sermon series is that Jesus is greater. And in the first part of the book, the author goes to great lengths to hammer this point home. He makes the point, Jesus is God's supreme revelation, greater than angels, greater than Moses. In this passage, he's saying he's greater than all the high priests. Supreme in title, he's supreme in person, he's supreme in all the works he does. Because that is the case, many may ask the question, then how in the world can I relate to him? How can I identify with somebody like that? Jesus is supreme over everything. How can a person like me, who is nowhere close to ever possibly reaching where he is, how can that person become my brother, my friend, my Lord, my Savior? The author answers this. We can relate to him. We can identify with him because he has condescended down to us. To relate to us Jesus has come to identify with us so that we in turn can identify with him he has become one of us he has identified with us therefore we can identify with him one of the ways he's done this is by taking on flesh and blood another way is by being tempted as we are tempted Jesus has come and he has experienced every temptation that we have experienced he was tempted to live a life apart from and opposed to God he was tempted to live for self in every respect means in every respect and that's what makes him such a great high priest he has not remained removed from us he has not saved us from afar but has saved us by coming near by becoming one of us and he came and he was tempted like us. He knows about where you have been. He knows about where I have been. He knows what we're going through. He knows about the temptations of this world. And believe me, he knows them to a greater degree than you or me because he never gave in. He was tempted like we are, but he was without sin. Notice the author speaks about how Jesus has related to us. He says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Is there anything worse than someone who comes to you during a time of great loss, during a great storm, and give empty, cheap words of sympathy? Someone who, who comes to you in your great time of loss and says, you know what, I know exactly what you're going through when it's obvious they don't have a clue. You ever had that happen? That is not the kind of sympathy that Jesus has for us. He got down off his throne. He stepped out of eternity and into history. He got down and dirty with us. He experienced what we experienced. He experienced loss in this life. He suffered in this life. So get this, when you face hard times, know he did too. And you can go through that with him knowing that he can sympathize with you. Then he says, we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Jesus was really tempted. He never gave in to that temptation, but was tempted nonetheless. He was tempted in every way. We have been tempted. He knows what it's like, and because that's the case, believers, he can give us real help. He can truly help you. 
and me. Here's the next reason why Jesus is such a great high priest. This just rolls right in to the next point. He is without sin. Not only is he able to sympathize with us in every way, not only was he tempted in every way like us, but he was without sin. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So notice here, even though Jesus has been tempted in every way we've been tempted, even though he's been put in the same kind of situations we're put in, he never gave in. He was tempted but was without sin. And some will respond to that and say, well, then he was never really tempted like I was tempted because, because I give in all the time. Surely he wasn't tempted to that degree. Listen, no, he was tempted to a greater degree because he refused to give in. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say you're dieting with your husband or wife. You go to a restaurant and you didn't get filled up on chips and salsa, so you want to get dessert, all right? They offer you dessert, you're still hungry. And because it's an illustration, let's live it up, okay? Let's say... A big chocolate fudge brownie with ice cream just fills the plate. It's just spilling over onto your table, okay? And, and, and you really want that. But let's say one of you refuses. Your temptation is going to remain and your desire is even going to grow stronger, right? But let's say one of you gives in. Husbands, I don't advise that, all right? But, uh, but let's say one of you gives in, orders it, and eats it. You're having a much easier time, right? That temptation's not as strong. Well, think about for Jesus. He never gave in. We always do. So we can safely assume that he was tempted to a much greater degree than us because the person who has been tempted and has never given in is the person who has been tempted the most. Make sense? This is also what distinguishes Jesus from all the other priests. All the other priests have sinned. You're like, not Aaron, not the first. Remember Aaron? Remember when Moses is receiving the law? Aaron is leading God's people to break a few of them. Big ones. They were all flawed, some much more than others. Jesus was not. We'll talk more about the significance of that as we as we move on. But let's talk about why, why do the Hebrews need to hear this truth? The author tells us in verse 16, he's answering all kinds of questions. He says, because Jesus has identified with us by being tempted as we are tempted, yet without sin, because he perfectly represented us, fulfilled all righteousness for us on our behalf, because he has been our faithful and perfect high priest, verse 16, let us then draw near. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the, the author of Hebrews tells those who are drifting, considering re-embracing the old Jewish beliefs and practices and holding them above the Christian faith in Christ himself. He's saying, don't do that. Jesus is greater. He is supreme. He is our great high priest. Through him, we have access to God. We have access to his throne of grace 
Through Him, we receive mercy, meaning we don't get what we deserve for our sin, but we find grace. We receive what we do not deserve, forgiveness, righteousness, adoption, and eternal redemption. He is saying Jesus is our great high priest, therefore draw near with confidence to God's throne of grace through Him. Cling to Him, look to Him, trust in Him alone for salvation. And get this, when we do that, not only is there salvation from sin and death for the non-believer, but there is current grace, believers, current grace to help for us as well. Is that not what it says here? He says, draw near to God's throne of grace through Jesus and find grace to help in time of need. Believers, are you going through a dark, difficult time right now? Are you struggling? Where are you going for help? You're trying to go through it on your own? God wants you to draw near to his throne of grace through Christ. He wants you to see your need of him and look to him and rely upon him and trust in him. And there you will find grace. You will find help from God in your time of need. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to us. But whether you see it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, we're in need of a priest. We are sinners set against God. We're unable by ourselves in our own strength to change our situation. Scripture is clear that God requires perfection. He is holy. He calls for us to be holy as he is holy. And we are unable in any way to measure up to his perfect standard by our own strength. Praise be to God that he provides for us what he requires of us. We're in need of a priest, and God has sent us all we need in Jesus, our great king priest. He is our great high priest. Though we could never ascend to where God is, God has condescended down to us in the person of Jesus. God the Son has come down to us to identify with us so that we could identify with Him. He came and He lived the perfect life for us and He laid His perfect life down and was raised up so that we through Him could have access to the Father in heaven. He has come down so that He could bring us up to God. And when we draw near through Jesus, we receive mercy from God's judgment and we find grace we find forgiveness of sin, righteousness in Christ, and adoption into the family of the Father, into the family of God forever. Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation today? Have you turned your life up and over to the Lord Jesus? If not, I invite you today to receive mercy and find grace today through forsaking your sin and trusting in Christ alone your salvation. Let's pray.